You're listening to the B Fox and B Frank show. It is the most wonderful time of the year. The way you know some people feel about the Christmas season, which I, I just can't get into when you're like basically a month out. That's how I feel about March. College basketball is heating up. The tournament is just a couple weeks away, and I don't know. I am I am excited. I am yeah. practically giddy. The so the the first day of March, we're recording this on the second. The first day of March was a Sunday, and it was a lighter slate, pro- probably a little heavier than most Sundays as we get into the month and football's over sands the XFL, say what you will about it, but it's still there. Uh and it might have been one of the crazier days we've had in a while. So it's certainly March is already living up to its name. We've had one day of games. I mean, Duke and NC State are playing as we speak right now, and I don't even remember or don't have the score of that one, but it was a tight game last I saw. So, yeah, I, I'm beyond excited for March. We, we've already got, uh, you know, a lot to watch and a lot to pay attention to, and here we go. This is this is John Rothstein's favorite time of year. It's, he's finally ready. It really is. Um, we can start with a team that played yesterday and most impressive. I actually had quite a few Big Ten teams. On well, I guess both lists. Let's be honest, but most impressive to start Ohio State yeah. back from the dead, convincing win over Michigan, who we'll talk about later. They had a rough week, but coming into this week, not really anybody in the Big Ten who is playing better. And you know, it's it's not football, but it's still a rivalry game for Ohio State to control this one as much as they did. Really, a a great knockout punch at the end to win this one by fourteen. Very impressive for for Chris Holtman, and I guess the job he's done, kind of fighting through some some midseason adversity for these guys. It was a weird, weird February for this team. There was a point. I mean, Chris Holtman said in his press conference, I don't know if you saw, but there there was a point where they were two and six, and he basically said he just scraped Twitter and found all the negative tweets and <laughs> said he saved them all because he's ready to just fire back at the same people who now are on their side because they're playing well. Uh, they had suspensions, they had injuries, they had all sorts of things going on in the month of February, and yet here we are sitting, first uh, first show in March, and they are in the top half of the Big Ten. They have a winning record in Big Ten play, despite the poor start, and they looked really good on Sunday. Uh, the, the late run was beyond impressive because it happened at both ends of the floor. We've seen them you know, maybe rely a little bit too much on Caleb Wesson offensively, which isn't a bad thing necessarily, but come March, you're going to need, you know, complimentary scorers if you want to make a run. And the rest of the team really stepped up and, and played well. Yeah, and this is more the team that they are. We've yeah. seen a lot of teams like, you know, for example, a Butler this year who were a little more perplexed at times why they were doing as well as they were then they fell back to earth a little bit. Ohio State, you know, you were very high on them in the preseason. They came out swinging the start of the year. And then once they hit their struggles, it was pretty confusing because, you know, there is so much talent on the roster. They should be, you know, doing a lot better than they are. They shouldn't be getting swept by the likes of Minnesota. But this is kind of water finding its level a bit. Um, they, they've played their way out of, you know, too high of a seed. But this is still a very dangerous team um, coming into March and yeah, Caleb Wesson is an absolute load on the block, as as Mark Turgeon will tell you. Ooh, God, Let, we'll get we'll talk about Turgeon in a little bit because my goodness, 
I need I need to discuss this man. But yeah, the, Ohio State. I don't know. I can't remember where exactly I had them. Either a five or a six. But either way, that is a terrifying team to see at a five or a six line right yeah. now. I mean, we we said it a couple weeks ago, but it's going to be most of the Big Ten in that four, three, four, five, six range. And <laughs> you're just you're not going to want to see half of these teams. Yeah, and Michigan with this loss kind of sliding back down into you know they're going to end up as like a seven seed and just make life absolutely miserable for whatever two they could potentially match up with. But I mean, Michigan Dayton second round, that would be fun as hell. Oh my goodness. Or third, whatever Um, it is. It'd be Watson revenge game. Yeah. Sign me up. Um, But yeah, same with Ohio state. If they get a five seed, that is not somebody you want to see in the sweet 16. If you're a one seed, Um, that's like a, a Florida state type every single year where they, they just are a, a nightmare matchup for, you know, in some years, Gonzaga, let's be honest. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's uh, Ohio State turned it around at the right time and see if they can get some momentum through this last week and pick up a couple more solid wins in the Big Ten tournament that could potentially slide them up a seed line or two. But yeah, compared to where they were, they are in much better shape. Absolutely. And I think this kind of segues well into the next team I wanted to talk about, Michigan State. Also, yeah. turn. I mean, January, February, Izzo, April. And it is money or sin. It is certainly turning out that way. Uh, three in a row, they beat Maryland. Um, they look good. I mean, they they just look good. And this is the team that I saw play in November. This is the team I remember watching break my heart in front of me, in front of you know fourteen thousand other people in Newark, New Jersey. But they look the part of a national title contender. I know they're you know they've struggled throughout the year, but I think they're back on track. And even saying that Xavier Tillman still isn't playing his best basketball, they're really relying on other pieces to to help out. Aaron Henry's been really good. Arns has been good off the bench. Uh, Malik Hall is finally starting to turn it on. The guy we saw early in the year is starting to come back. They've got a lot of different guys that are coming in. Bingham, I mean, there are they're they're deep, and this is uh, it's it's scary when you see how athletic and and deep they can run on that bench. Rocket Watts had a big game in yeah. there. Another solid midweek win over Iowa. Two ranked wins for the week and beating Maryland in College Park where, you know, like most of the Big Ten, the Turfs have been unquestionably better at home. So for them to get out to, like you tweeted, the patented slow start at home was a uh, it's a really game changer. And they were they were basically trying to fight back from that for the duration of the game. Like Michigan stayed out of the gate and really for, for long stretches, if not the entire game on Saturday, that's the team people were envisioning when yeah. you know everybody ranked them number one in the preseason. Um, they they get out to like a seventeen to five start and then just kept pouring it on. Cassius Winston hitting an unreal buzzer beater. Um, yeah, one of one of the loudest switches I've ever heard in my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely yeah, ripped the net. Like Maryland has been just kind of squeaking by people as we have. I mean, for a while now just long been documenting on this show. Uh, so you know, they, they finally had a loss and I mean, Michigan state was unquestionably the better team. And this is a great sign. If you are Izzo, obviously, because you know, for, for as long as he's been there, as good as he is at what he does, had to be some doubt creeping in at least a little bit. Um, just because, yeah. you know, this is such a talented, deep roster and it's been just about a year long struggle for them to, get to where they should be. Um, at least mm-hmm. in, in years past, there's obviously some 
some midseason adversity every year. Some of it potentially manufactured, as as Titus will tell you, but there, there's at least some flashes of brilliance before that. We didn't really have that much this year. See, so yeah, early season win at your expense was kind of the the high watermark early, um, and certainly that's aged very well as Seton Hall has continued to play at a high level. But I mean, they struggled in Maui. They 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 really couldn't get out of their way. Couldn't string together, you know, like four, five, six victories in a row without you know losing to somebody they shouldn't. So. Obviously, we'll have to see how they kind of move forward from this big win, but it's March. Yeah. So, I mean, you got to gotta be worried about Michigan State. They had us thinking, like, that their stretch early in this season was so strange. They had us thinking Virginia Tech was a good team. Yeah. Like, that, that's how bad they were, that they had us thinking, oh, my God, this – Wow, Mike Young, what a job he's doing in year one. Virginia Tech, really going to, like, they're a threat in the ACC. Not so fast. Um, Yeah, they looked really good throughout the game. I think there was, like, maybe a three-minute stretch, like, late in the second half where Cassius Winston picked up, like, three ridiculously bad fouls, and that was maybe the only point they ever looked bad. Like, I mean, I thought Tom Izzo was going to run onto the court and yank him off the floor, but outside of that... They played really well. Like you said, Rocky Watts, I can't believe I forgot him. He was sh- he's been shooting the lights out the last couple games, and that's really what they've needed. But dangerous, dangerous times for anyone going up against Michigan State. Yeah, um, keeping it in the Big Ten, Wisconsin. Yeah. They are, I mean, you, you, t- you talk about teams we left for dead, which is just a recurring theme for all of these. Like, Wisconsin in the non-conference looks atrocious yeah. they could not score they were losing games to the likes of new mexico um i mean kobe king's gone never to return um second leading score and yet they are they're still right near the top of the the big 10 the the patented top four finish they get yeah. almost every year um winning at michigan is extremely impressive and then holding off Daniel Oturu, but also his teammates in Minnesota. Um, at the end of the week, they're back in the top 25 now. And, yeah, I mean, like, looking at this team from, from November, early December, I don't I don't think anyone would have expected any point in the year, especially, like, in March, they would be a ranked basketball team. Absolutely not. I mean, they've won seven of their last eight. The only loss was the egg they laid up in uh, the barn at Minnesota. Other than that, though, the defense has been excellent. They've been scoring the ball, which has been a huge, huge issue because they just really haven't had good shooters all year, ro- year long. Excuse me. Micah Potter has been awesome off the bench, and Demetric Trice has finally come into his own as like the lead go-to guard instead of trying to shove Brad Davison down our throats like Wisconsin has been trying to do for seemingly since he's been on campus as like a, a scorer and a you know an offensive guy. They're finally giving the ball to the more talented Trice, and it's working. So shout out to the silent assassin for figuring it out. Yeah, I think some of that has to be attributed to Greg Gard roster construction. Yes. I have discussed ad nauseum. Um, There's just not not an overwhelming amount of scorers to choose from at the moment. Trice was phenomenal against Michigan, dropping 28. But, you know, Wisconsin right now, they kind of oscillate game to game. For who is going to be the lead dog? Um, so, I mean, Trace and then Micah Potter quietly will just yeah. put up like fifteen and nine in like twelve minutes off the bench. Yeah. So from you know, on the on the one hand, if you're Wisconsin, you wish you had you know somebody you could always rely on to get a bucket. But 
from opponent, opponent's point of view, you can't just key in on one guy because yeah. you know anybody out of the starting five is just as likely to have a big day that day. Um, yeah, it's. Do you know who their leading scorer is by average? Uh, the Reavers. Yeah, by three points. Wow. Yeah, he. But he's he's a guy who is very clear. I mean, in my opinion, very clearly the most skilled guy. It's it's more apparent that he's a big guy and you know has shooting touch and ability to handle the ball. But like, you're not hearing about Nate River, Reavers dropping like 25 points in a game. Like he's always just kind of there. Never really seems to be the guy having the monster game, but he's just solidly chipping in, you know, 14, 15 points, nine rebounds a night. He gets stuck, I think, too much in the post where he doesn't want to be. Like, he, he is a victim of his size because he doesn't yeah. necessarily want to be stuck in the post, but Wisconsin has really not much height outside of him and Potter, and they need him to secure the paint in those minutes defensively. So offensively, he kind of gets stuck. But when he steps out, I think is where obviously where he's more comfortable because, like you said, he's pretty skilled big man. And that's where he should be right? because most of the other big guys in the Big Ten this year, which is very, very deep class, like yeah. going to go against massive guys like Smith, Coburn, Oturu, guys who are going to just dominate him physically. Mm-hmm. The best chance he has is to take him out the perimeter where Joey he's more comfortable. But eh, yeah, let's let's put, <laughs> let's put Joey Brunk in that class. Um, Archie no, would. But, yeah. Um, but no, Reaver is definitely more of a uh, Lamar Stevens type mm-hmm. of game. And yeah, it's just kind of there's no one else who can really play back to the basket for Wisconsin. So they have to at right. least give off the threat of that Mm -hmm. they look good though i mean say what you will about minnesota we'll talk about them i think in the next segment but oturu is a monster and just to beat him alone it it takes a lot especially defensively that was a big win that they picked up i think this might i think minnesota might be a tournament team if they play in like the acc oh easily they're just virginia is in is tied with duke right now in the acc like, that's how bad the league is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, want to talk about Virginia? <laughs> I didn't have him on my most impressive, but I yeah, did. we can talk about him. I did. And let's be honest, nothing brings me more joy than shitting on Virginia basketball, but I have to give at least a little credit this week. Um, well, start with the Virginia Tech game. Yeah. They, they held Virginia Tech to 11 first half points, right? Mm-hmm. Before giving up 42 in the second. Um, part that, you know, college basketball writers who love to ask Tony Bennett's, Bennett's D will, will conveniently leave out. But yes. T.A. Clark, late three in the rivalry game. Um, you love to see it. And then beating Duke, Jay Huff having a phenomenal game, getting a double-double with points Insane and blocks. Insane game. Like, he, he was just... I, I'm shocked he only had 15 points, but I guess that's Virginia basketball because yeah, that's a monster you know, that's, night. That's a high percentage of their total <laughs> output, um, so you just have to scale that down from a normal team. But right. he was just—it it seemed like he was dunking everything and blocking everything, and like Duke just really didn't have much of an answer, which is insane because they have far and away the best players on the floor. They have Vernon Carey. You have an answer yeah. right there. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's he, no other reason that Jay like Huff he, should be he, doing this. He had an okay game, like for his standard, seventeen and ten, um, which you know most people would kill for. But like, uh, we'll talk about Duke in a little bit. But Virginia, this is uh, this is a a season defining win um, from 
you know, again, somebody who who is really struggling early in the year, losing to a lot of teams that they really shouldn't. And like Huff is a solid player. Diakite is a solid player. They're still hurt that they don't really have go-to scoring on the wing. Like Clark can give you some buckets from the point guard spot from time to time. But, you know, the, the reason they've struggled when they have this year is, you know, they, they don't have anyone who can fill the shoes of Kyle Guy. Not that most programs would, but it's especially glaring when you are generally offensively challenged to begin with. Um, but they they suffocated Duke. They suffocated Virginia Tech for long enough. And, uh, yeah, I mean, still still a team that I would not want a team I hold dear to play in March because it would be agonizing. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I think this was, was probably their best week of the year. Yeah, I mean, they, they are on a six-game win streak, but they beat a whole lot of nothing in those five previous games. And um, barely, too. Yeah, and it, they were all pretty close. I think the biggest problem, outside of the fact that they averaged 57.4 points a game, is Braxton Key. He was supposed to be that guy that took yeah. not the DeAndre Hunter type step, because I don't think you can expect a guy to go from off the bench to like role player to breaks his wrist and all of a sudden we lose to a 16 seed to, oh my God, this guy's a lottery pick. But he was supposed to be somewhere in the middle between those two, like solid starter, maybe our go-to guy offensively, or at least a good Robin to Diakite's Batman. And he is shooting 19% from three this year. Like It's just not going to get it done, especially when you play the style that Virginia does. Um, Fortunately for them, he's doing a lot of the other things. He's defending pretty well, and he's got great size, so he can disrupt passing lanes. He rebounds it the best on the team. But if he can turn on the offense a little bit, they will certainly be another level of scary. Scary in that they just just uh, let the air out of the ball. That's the, the phrase I was looking for. And then all of a sudden, you know, they score a couple points, and five feels like it's 15, and 10 feels like it's over. But... Yeah, I think the whole thing comes down to Braxton Key, for me at least, and he, whether he can step up and play that type of role as the wing scorer or if he's going to be non-existent, basically, like he has throughout the year. Yeah, and he was generally a good offensive player at Alabama, so you know, kind of being counted on for you know filling that scoring role at least a little bit, um, but you know, that's obviously not something Tony Bennett prioritizes, and you know, he, Bennett is probably happier at this point that he has been, you know, mastering the defense and making an impact on that side of the ball um, mm-hmm. more than he's concerned about the offensive struggles. But most rational people, I agree, would would say, you know, we're going to need something a little more if we want this season and this tournament run to be more than a, a one and done. Yeah. Because, again, like you need offense in March. You do. They, yeah, I mean, they like, even saw it. This Virginia team saw it in their run. They needed to score points late against, I mean, pretty much everyone down the stretch. Purdue, Auburn, they needed some late buckets, and they got them. They had that guy. I don't know who that guy is this year, and I don't think Diakite is the right guy, but I feel like he's the one that's going to take that shot. Yeah. Um, certainly showed it a little bit, albeit off a bounce um, against mm-hmm. Purdue, but... Yeah, it's it's no surprise that you know Virginia's most talented offensive team is the one that made the deepest run. Like yeah. there is there's a correlation there. Yes, but don't tell Tony Bennett though. No, um, he'll figure it out on his own. Maybe in the next decade. <laughs> maybe. Uh, I've I've got two teams out of the Big Twelve that did the exact same thing this week. 
Um, Another team that we left for dead, like dead, dead, Texas beats Texas Tech in West Virginia. And then obviously Oklahoma beat the exact same teams. But Texas is somehow back in the bubble talk. They are uh, on the outside looking in still, but they are there. They're in the conversation. And Oklahoma uh, has worked their way onto the right side of the bubble. Barring anything crazy, they should be in. But all of a sudden, the you know the teams outside of Kansas and Baylor in the Big Twelve are beating up on each other, and it's kind of working to their to the league's favor or in the league's favor to get more bids. So those two those two are on their way up. I don't know if Texas is going to have enough to get there, and frankly, I don't think they deserve to be in the tournament. But that's neither that's not up to me. It's it's how it's going to work out. Yeah, I still don't think that uh, Texas played their way into the field, but I do think Shaka Smart may have saved his job with the Texas Tech win on Saturday. Um, Oklahoma, obviously, you said, a lot better shape making the tournament, and with these losses, West Virginia and Texas Tech, it's not like they're falling out of the field, so some uh, potential big conspiracy collusion Mm -hmm. uh, going on on the Big 12. Yeah. what does Shaka have on Bob Huggins? I don't know. That's maybe a whole lot. We, we'll find out. So that was a large role reversal from mm-hmm. game one between those teams. Big time. Uh, Providence. The Friars are red hot. They, yeah. They've won five straight overranked teams, I believe is the stat. Something something along those yeah. lines. Um, another team that was beyond debt. I mean, they entered conference play with a losing record. And all of a sudden, they're 17 and 12, 10 and 6 now in the Big East. They're, they're safely in fourth place, um, have a chance to potentially even play their way up to second. And I, I don't know what to say. Like, that they just, they aren't a good offensive team. They muddy the game up, they really slop it up, but they are finding ways to win. And recently, it's been Luan Pipkins has been great. It's a different guy every week, seemingly. Ed Cooley, the American dream, is yeah. what you can say. Yeah, um, pretty pretty great in season turnarounds, um, and I think a lot of that does have to be attributed to your head coach. And mm-hmm. Cooley has established himself over the the last several years, anyway, as one of the better ones in the Big East um, as it stands, and and definitely showing it with this year's group. That being said, it's hard for me to give him an overwhelming amount of credit because you know. This is a team that was talented enough that should have been doing this right from the get-go. Um, yeah. But when you have a, you have a backcourt, the caliber of, of Pipkins and David Duke, um, you're gonna you're gonna cause problems for people. And, and Villanova found that out the hard way on Saturday. And yeah, it's it's certainly been to Providence's benefit that they have the opportunity to play as many ranked teams as they have in the Big East. And, mm-hmm they're taking advantage by winning those games. So they yeah. are, they've, they've enhanced their tournament profile so quickly. Yeah. And, and I think another key for the run is that they're just a more aggressive team. Like the big East is a physical, it's always going to be a physical brand of basketball, but they're more aggressive on the offensive glass. And they're certainly bigger than most teams. Like the big East is not the big 10. There are not that many good big men and the ones that are there uh, aren't necessarily, elite rebounders or elite any I mean I guess Rogill kind of counts as an elite shot blocker but outside of that no one is really that kind of anchor 
And so Providence has the size and has the, you know, aggressive nature. They are just dominating teams on the offensive glass, and that's how they're winning games. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's a little bit of a desperation from their ends. Yeah. Like, you saw the season slipping away, mm-hmm. got dirty, got their noses dirty, and, and kind of getting after it. But I mean, honestly, the season had yeah. slipped away. Yeah. They have four losses in Q3, like total losses in Q3 and Q4. Um, and they're still going to make the tournament. It's bananas. Breaking new ground. Yeah. Good for them. Um, UCLA? Again, the Bruins. Swept the Arizonas. No small feat with especially how Arizona State's been playing. Right. Um, and Arizona is a significantly more talented team than UCLA, even though a lot of it is concentrated in that freshman class. But, yeah. The, like They keep winning. You talk about Providence being like below the like significantly below the dead threshold. Like UCLA was deader than dead. Like there is, they were dead before the season started. Yeah, like it, it's it was just not a good match at all. Um, and then pretty dreadful showing in Maui, um, and and somehow stood out amongst you know honestly a lot of teams having pretty bad showings. Mm-hmm. Um, and then getting nothing going in the non-conference, like. I know you're a Liberty guy, but that's a that's a game that they can't be losing, and yeah. and one that doesn't look great. And yeah, I mean it's it certainly helps that the Pac-12 is the Pac-12, and it's not you know going to be in even the top half of the Power Six for you know the foreseeable future. But like these are both quality wins this week, and this is this is a team that is absolutely peaking at the right time. Like they might just, I mean they're. They have the inside track right now to win the regular season title. They might just mess around and get the auto bid and, you know, save some people the trouble. I mean, Vegas is going to be wild. The Pac-12 tournament is going to be something I mean, to watch. Evergreen statement. Yes. Uh, it makes you wonder, what the, the hell is Oregon doing? Like, the, this, the league, the top of the league is so wide open. Where is Oregon? If they're supposed to be this final four threat, which I still think they are... Should they not be running away with this conference? I mean, come on. They should. They're currently a half game behind. Um, and I mean, say the same about Colorado, who mm. I will get to. Yeah. But, oh, yeah. Like, the, those, are, those are the two, or should be, I mean, those are the two best teams in the conference, I think. Fairly clear cut, um, just because there's not a lot else to choose from. If you want to like, go talent, I mean... Washington at 3-13 and 13 is the most absurd thing. I mean, but uh, yeah. Freshman. Whatever free free you money want to, to bet again, so I'll I'll take that yeah. time and again. Um, but yeah, it's uh, UCLA is taking advantage of repeated fuck ups from the rest of the league, mm-hmm. and like no one really seems to want to win it. Like the, yeah, this is absolutely a a league that Oregon compared to the rest of the conference, they should be you know at like fourteen and two or something. Yeah, um, a, a lot more convincing than where they stand. So yeah, I mean. Begrudging tip of the cap to uh, UCLA head coach McCronin. Yeah, and this is actually like a nice little segue because what Oregon should be doing is what Kentucky's doing in the SEC. Cats win another regular season title by beating Auburn. Uh, they are another team that seems to be peaking at the right time. Um, I love that they played the no one believed in us card after this win, or at least Tyrese Maxey did when they talked about the team's turnaround from the uh, shaky start to the year. Something. Well, Go ahead. Go ahead. Here's the th- you gave them reason to not believe in you. 
when you lost to Evansville, right. did not win a game in the Missouri Valley. Yeah. Um, and and when you lose to uh, Ohio State and in Vegas, and then Ohio State goes on just a horrid losing streak, or when you lose to Utah, who is a terrible team, yeah. like there there were a lot of reasons to believe that Kentucky wasn't as good as past editions. Some of the differences, I mean, they can seem to have at least recently a solid big man. Nick Richards is that guy. Their shooting still can use some work, but Manuel Quickly is a really good guard that just causes problems. I mean, that's the best way I can put it. He just causes problems. Like he'll he'll get to the line whenever he needs to. He shoots basically a hundred percent from the line. This whole team actually shoots really well from the free throw line. And then Ashton Hagens is a great on ball defender. They've got a lot of good pieces. I I'm not like uh, super afraid of them. When I see Kentucky, I don't necessarily quake like past teams where they've got all that talent. I mean, they certainly are talented, but it's I don't know. I just feel like they're so much more susceptible this year than they have been in a while. And that even though they are peaking right now of all the other teams that we've mentioned on this list, like I I'd still take Ohio state, Michigan state over them without a doubt. Yeah. I would not take UCLA over them, No, but I, I agree with the larger point. Um, this is, this is not a typical Calipari team. There's not a bunch of freshmen that just walked in off the, the bus and are, are wowing us. It's mm-hmm. a lot of sophomores leading the charge. Um, quickly, very appropriately named. Uh, he he's yeah. an absolute blur at times, and yeah, it, it's kind of a, a weird dynamic because it does seem like Kentucky still had a down year. I think bigger issue is it was a pretty down year for the SEC as a whole. Yeah. Um, a lot of teams we had some expectations for in the preseason fell flat. Florida comes to mind. Tennessee was disappointing. Arkansas has been pretty disappointing uh, once we got into conference play. Yeah. Um, and it is really, you know, the, the only challenger that, that really could stick with them somewhat was Auburn. LSU, a little bit of a flash in the pan before coming back down to earth. Um, so, like, I, I think it's reasonable to say that Kentucky is not as good as you would expect under Calipari. Also a testament to the job he's done since he's been there. But right, yeah, you know that that that's kind of the the God's honest truth. They've done a great job uh, to get to this point. When another title in the SEC wasn't the most impressive year to do it in, and that's okay. Yeah, they still won. That's all that matters. I mean, they're doing again. They're doing what Oregon should be doing right now yeah. in the Pac-12, and I can't fault them for that. I'm just gonna say that when I put you know some of the top teams up against each other. Kentucky is not one that pops off the page to me as like, yeah, this is one circle for a final four run. They certainly are capable, but it's not, you know, it depends on matchups for them. Yeah. I I don't think you can really use the nobody believes in us card when you're like losing games to bad teams. I think if, if on Saturday, Maryland came out and hammered Michigan state by like 35, and then they wanted to say something like that in the post game, because you know, we've been giving them shit for winning all these close games. I think that plays a little more. Sure. But yeah, it's like there's a there's a reason we're not believing in you when you lose at home to Evansville. I mean, even Auburn can play that card. They were one of the last undefeateds. They're you know eleven and yeah. five in the SEC. No one believes in them still. I mean, they're still like I mean, probably different after yesterday. But last yeah. I checked, they were below Indiana and Kempom. So like, Crimea River. Right. 
Uh, that is all I had for most impressive. Uh, one of the quick shout out to Houston. Um, the redemption. The, the, the Americans still a jumble, but you know, getting a, a solid double digit win over tournament hopeful in Cincinnati. One of the closest things you can do to a, a quality win in that league, and just you know, Cincinnati's always a a physical team. The way they manhandled the Bearcats on the boards was extremely impressive, and. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the best hope the American has for an, an extended deep run into the tournament. So at this point, just playing for seeding and, and trying to get that as high as possible, I think this definitely helps. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're a guard-oriented team. They're fun to watch. They're pretty deep at the guard position, too. So it's not like, you know, one-trick, two-trick pony there. They've got a lot of different guys that can, can hurt a you a tricks. couple of di- different ways. And, uh, yeah, they, they're, they're standing out above... The rest of the, well, I guess Tulsa's tied with them still somehow tied atop the American, but they uh, they are standing out above the rest of the jumble that is the American Conference. Frank Hayes going to steal a bid somehow by winning that conference tournament and oh, will just God. be loathed by many once again, as is appropriate. Honestly, can they win the automatic bid and go to the first four? Because that would be perfect. No. I know they can't. Yeah, like that would that would be hilarious. That would be the best <laughs> best thing ever. No, um, unless someone wants <laughs> to be a real dick and make him a sixteen seed. That would be even but, better. Yeah. Uh, least impressive. I there's only one place to start, right? And that's Duke. That is Duke. Um, losing to Wake Forest is bad. Giving up over a hundred points in a loss to Wake Forest is very bad. Following that up with a 50-point performance against Virginia is even worse. Even worse than that is having your net fall zero spots, despite all that losing. Yeah, they're somehow still ranked 12th in the AP poll, and I know polls don't really matter, but like it, it is annoying that people just do not pay attention and just see it's Duke and don't punish them the same way that other teams do for you know similar or less egregious losses. I was um, mad just, online earlier. I was looking through the rankings, like how each uh, AP voter voted, and there were multiple people that actually moved them up after last week, which is, yeah, I mean, strip the vote right there. But there were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine voters that had them inside the top 10. How many had ACC ties is what I would wonder. Uh,. But. Not a ton, I don't think. Huh. We got a guy from Oregon, Jesse Newell, who's just been a joke the entire year. So, yeah, he's he's bad. Yeah. Um, Rob Douster from uh, NBC Sports had him at number mm-hmm. nine. Dude from Montana, they must not get internet out there. That must. I was going to say Montana and Oregon, they're probably just like you know, kind of, kind of how he's got BYU at number nine. This guy. All right. He's That's got, not too crazy, I'm not going to lie to you. He's got Seton Hall at 16 and Stephen F. Austin at 18. Michigan State yeah. at 24. So, okay. Stephen, <laughs> Stephen F. Austin should be above Duke then, in my opinion. Agreed. If we're going to um, play that game. Yeah, but... Anyways. Uh, just atrocious week for Duke. Just horrific defensive performance against... Most people would say the worst team in the ACC and then followed it up yeah. with just an atrocious offensive performance. And they had the Wake Forest game one, too. Just an unreal ch- choke at the end of regulation to even allow that to go into overtime. And then just giving up straight buckets to 
Olivier Saar, um, all during the first overtime period. It just a, a game they had no business losing, and then you could you could predict all of the manufactured excuses from that. And then Virginia talked about like you know exactly what Virginia is going to do, and Duke has largely been successful against the Cavs, but it's just they they allowed Virginia to you know dictate tempo and so dictate how the game was going to be played. Is Matthew Hurt good? That's a great I'm question. Still, I'm still waiting to see it. Um, came into a lot of hype. He came very close to putting up a nine trillion against Virginia. Missed a couple shots, got a steal. That was it. Um, just he he has not really made his imprints at all. And I don't know if that's just because of how dominant Vernon Carey is. It's kind of hard to get touches or or you know make his mark on the game. But you would think someone who was that dominant in high school, came in with that much hype, would be able to at least do a little better. But I I mean, I really haven't seen much from him this year. I feel like he's either always in foul trouble or like just doesn't get run because he just hasn't played well. So it's like based on earlier, you know, merit-based. Yeah. So it, yeah, it's it's one of those things where I have no idea if he's good or not because we really haven't seen him. And then when he does get in the game, he's always in foul trouble because he just can't play defense. Yeah, not really a winning combination. Um, but at least no concern for Kay about him being a one and done. So there's that. <laughs> yeah. Him, him and Alex O'Connell. Yeah. Joey Baker is still alive. <laughs> Joey Baker is, is still there. Yeah. Joey Baker was basically that guy last year. Um, like Hurt hasn't been Hurt wasn't coming in with like the top three recruits in the class like Joey Baker was, and then mm-hmm. you know they burned his red shirt super late, which I'm sure he's thrilled about. Yeah. But um, yeah, Hurt Hurt's been it's been different because he he was more so expected to be one of the guys, just has not been not even close. And they need him too. Like they could really yeah. use him at this point in the year. Um, and that's even with Trey Jones playing really well. Vernon Carey's obviously doing well. But would have been would have been nice to have Matthew Hurt play well, you know, play up yeah. to expectations. Um the whole point of Duke though is that it does not matter who they play or what they do. They are always going to get the benefit of the doubt. They're always going to be placed significantly higher than they need to. And even even after all this losing, they're still going to end up in the goddamn East Regional and play at Madison Square Garden. I'm calling everything right now. I don't care if they're a three or a four. Whatever they end up as, they will be in the East, no matter what. Oh, they'll they will still somehow finagle it too. Like they'll they'll go on a good run, win the ACC tournament, and then everyone will just forget. So like, help me God. The home loss to to Stephen F. Austin, losing at Wake Forest, getting hammered by NC State's. Um, Do they end up at least beating NC State as we're recording this? Yeah, they won by double digits. Okay, well. Good for them. Yeah. Should should have happened job. in the first game too. If you're <laughs> as good as NC State is actually still up on the year of point differential, though. I think they only won by 19 tonight. So NC that's, State by three. That's important. <laughs> uh, yeah, yep. it's it. I've I've officially moved off of my worry that Syracuse is going to get in because I think they're dead, and it's bad to call to you on this show. If we call them dead, it means they've got life. But we're, uh, but, we're getting pretty late in the year. Yes, now, so we're running out of safer. days, so I feel a little, I feel a little better about it. Um, so yeah, I'm officially moving off of my fear is that Syracuse is going to make the NCAA tournament too. Now that Duke is going to make a run and get overseeded because they're Duke, but 
I think the only solace I have is knowing that if they do get overseeded, they're going to get upset early. Yeah, that'll be wonderful. I could go for another just second round pasting like South Carolina gave to them. Or, um, I mean, would... I wish Central Florida won last year. Holy oh shit. My God. That, that would have been I, so fun. I still don't know how that didn't go in. Ugh. Um, yeah, but new new potential nightmare for you, I, I think, is you know, Syracuse goes ahead and, and wins the <laughs> ACC tournament. Really not outside the realm of Against Duke in the final. All the, all the top teams have some atrocious losses, yeah. namely to Clemson yeah. and others, but... Um, yeah, Syracuse is still going to be like in the sixth range. Um, wouldn't be too crazy for them to, to go on a run there. And then they'd skip the first four and have an easier oh, stretch to the sweet 16 run. <laughs> don't don't it's, talk. It's been, a, it's been a crazy year. Yeah. But yeah, getting, uh, losing by double digits at home to North Carolina, not a great look that that's not going to impress noted basketball aficionado, Jimmy Fallon. No. It will not. Um, Creighton is going to be my next team. Just getting waxed by St. John's. And this was, honestly, it was a tight game. And the Johnnies probably, I mean, they easily played their best game of the year. They shot the lights out from three, which was a, a little taste of Creighton's own medicine back at them. Jays could not hit a shot when they needed it. Marcus Zagorowski and Mitch Ballack were two of 20, I believe, with eight points. And they were still within, like, five or six points late in the game. And then it was basically just continuing to leave shooters wide open. And they and St. John's could not miss. And it was, like, a quick 17-0 run in a minute and a half. And the game was over. I mean, McDermott pulled his starters with two minutes left. He knew it was over. So what that means is that I'm a happy, happy person because Seton Hall claims at least a share of the Big East title for the first time since 93. But, yeah, I mean... With so much, I mean, Creighton wasn't in the driver's seat, but they certainly were much better off than Villanova was. They have, you know, this easier schedule, and then they host Seton Hall down the stretch. So if if anything, they had a chance to at least tie being a game back, and now all of a sudden they need Seton Hall to fall in order to uh, have a shot at the one seed in the Big East tournament. Yeah, and I mean, I kind of thought by the time that, that Creighton worked it all the way back to, you know, one, two-possession game that, yeah. you know, the – the overwhelming gap between the two teams would, would kind of wear St. John's out. But yeah, like you said, St. John's just went an absolute tear after that, um, stepped right on the jugular. So credits to them for that. Um, Mike Anderson's yeah, got a winning record. He, he needs one more, one more win here down the stretch to guarantee a 500 season. Yeah. Um, that'll be, that'll be good for him. Um, yeah. Also, an interesting match between coach and program. Yeah. At least in the offseason. So, looks like those guys proved us wrong. <laughs> big, t- big time. They're, <laughs> they're combined, uh, what, 34 and, 34 and 25 record? Yeah, eating a lot of crow with uh, St. John's getting to 500. Yes. For the year. Um, that fourth Big East win, man. I'll tell you. Yeah. It, it just hits different. Uh, so, I mean, speaking of teams shooting the lights out just quick shout out back to most impressive Dayton shooting 72 percent on Friday yeah against Davidson absolutely Absurd. insane missed their first two of the game and then didn't again <laughs> like come on I mean I love reading through the mentions of voters or Rothstein or you know Seth Davis or whoever where it's like if Dayton were in the big 10 they'd have eight or 12 eight or 10 losses already it's like just watch them play it doesn't matter the level of competition, and the Ameri- uh, the A10, excuse me, is a good conference still. 
obviously not of the Power Six level, but it's still a good conference. The, I mean, it doesn't matter who you're playing if you're making your shots. You're going to win yeah. either way. And that's and all also, they do. And also in that hypothetical, like, yeah, Dayton might just because everyone in the Big Ten is beaten up on each other this year. Yeah. But, like, it doesn't matter for March. Like, right. They're they're still going to be fine. And it, it's it's just absurd. Every time they play or you watch a highlight package, anything, like, Obi Toppin is just throwing down dunks at all times. Like, it, it's absolutely absurd that he already has the all-time Dayton dunk record. He's just, but it, but it's so on brand. He, he is going to be so much fun to watch in next year's slam dunk contest. Like, it's oh. going to be insane. Or him and Zion, yes, just get like a few backup rims just yeah. in case. Just, just, just on the off chance that we need him. Um, but yeah, that I mean, just flipping back and forth between that game and whatever else was on, <laughs> and just continuing to see the score just pile up, and then all of a sudden you see. Dayton has not missed from two yet, and then they miss, and then they don't again is insane. Yeah, so they're uh, they're pretty good. They are. That's uh, that's my take. Snap right, of approval back, from the show. <laughs> back to being negative. Uh, West Virginia. Yeah. So, as we mentioned, lost to Texas and Oklahoma. They have just been completely inept. Free fall. Offensively, uh, losers of six of seven. They broke 70 points once during the month of February. Um Another team that was kind of punching above its weight a little bit. Um, they, they didn't really have the star power that Bob Huggins' Press Virginia teams have had, you know, in his best years. Yeah. Now kind of falling back to earth a little bit. Still safely in the tournament, um, but obviously their, their seed has free fallen a little bit. Um, they, they seem primed for an early exit against a hot shooting mid-major team. Yeah. This was. This is like the. Th- this feels like the perfect opponent for East Tennessee State in the first round. Like a nice six eleven game. Yeah. Where it's tight for maybe the first half, and then the Bucks get hot, and all of a sudden you flip back, and it's like eighty to fifty four, and Bob Huggins is just purple in the face. Yeah, I can see. I can see that for sure. They are three and eight on the road this year, and I mean it. It just goes to what they are. They're just a young team. Like they, they, like you said, punching above their weight. And that's what young teams do from time to time. They are certainly falling back to earth. Did I expect them to be, you know, sub 500 right now in Big 12 play? Absolutely not, especially given that Iowa State is without their best player. Oklahoma State has been atrocious. Kansas State stinks. TCU is TCU. I mean, I don't, I don't know what to say about them other than like they've got a couple decent wins. And I still don't know how they won that Baylor game. No idea. That game was over. Uh, Texas, I still don't think is a good team. I mean, Oklahoma's eight and eight, so it's flip a coin and you're winning that one. But Texas Tech's beatable. Pretty much everyone outside of the top two, you have an like a legitimate chance to beat home or away. And the fact that they are seven and nine right now is concerning. Obviously, the way they got there is also concerning. But I, I think it just speaks to their youth. Yeah, and. I mean, now that you put it like that, it's always a conversation. Who's the second best team in the Big 12 this year? Who is the third best team? Yeah. You know, nobody wants to be. No. Texas Tech certainly doesn't. Like, you would, yeah, you would have made the argument for a lot of the year, either West Virginia or Texas Tech, but they are they're both giving wins right back to the rest of the conference. And again, maybe... Uh, Maybe some collusion. Just a little, a couple, a couple extra bids. Little, little bid stealing going on inside the league. 
Um, you want to talk Baylor? Because that was a pretty unimpressive game they played. Again, I was, yeah, I don't don't really have a good excuse for for the Bears on that. That was that was a game they were they were comfortably ahead. I was the the only the only thing that was really concerning is whether or not they were going to cover seven and a half. Mm-hmm. And then TCU goes on an absolute tear to close that one out. Yeah, um, credit to Jamie Dixon. It's it hasn't been an easy go down at TCU, right? But a win like that's got to be great. I will say this: I don't really care about that game if I'm Baylor because they've already they haven't secured a one seed, but they're pretty safely up there um, in the in the one territory. The thing is, I want to see how they respond, and that's what they've got now with Texas Tech, and they're at home. That's going to tell you everything you need to know about this Baylor team, how they play this game against Texas Tech, who's also struggling. So it's not like they're playing, you know, someone red hot because I don't think that really exists. I mean, Texas has four, won four straight outside of Kansas, who's won 14. That's the longest win streak in the league. And I would not call Texas a red hot team or like, you know, a good team by any stretch of the imagination. Um, talent wise, probably Texas Tech is right behind them in Kansas, um, Baylor in Kansas, that is. So. You're playing arguably the third most talented team in the league who's also struggling. Like, you got to win this one. If you lose this one, there are major red flags going up about this team and whether they can make a run in March and maybe if their coach is good. Yeah, I mean, that, that's something we'll never know the answer to. And you can say the same thing about Texas Tech, how they respond coming into this game. Yeah. Like, outside of Kansas, pretty much the Big 12 is at a crossroads trying to figure out who they are, how they're going to respond to adversity. Texas, I mean, for all the shit we've given them this year, they have responded probably the best to adversity so far with all the injuries they've had to go through. They are, again, other than Kansas, playing the best basketball right now. Admittedly a low bar uh, for the league as a whole, but still. um, Baylor was so consistently good for so long after what is now a very head-scratching early season loss to Washington. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hard to fault them for one possession loss to Kansas, but this is just absolutely a game you can't lose. Like you said, doesn't ruin their one seed chances if they don't respond well and they let this loss, you know, beat them two more games, then it might. But mm-hmm. they're still in good position. They have opportunity for more quality wins, and depending on how they play in the Big Twelve tournaments, that could get some of the confidence back. Texas Tech, same thing, honestly. Yeah, copy and paste for them. Yeah, huge opportunity to get a statement win against Baylor after uh, falling short earlier in the year. Really frustrating week for them, like West Virginia, losing to Texas and Oklahoma, two teams they are definitely better than. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, Chris Beard has had had quite a few animated discussions with his team um, after those games because, you know, this is a – this is a team in a, in a program now that has a, a certain level of pride, especially after the year they had last year and the year before. Um, they're really stumbling to the finish line, and if they can get a win over Baylor, that would uh, that would do wonders for them. While I say that, what's uh, what's the score right now? It is uh, 28-26 Texas Tech. Okay. So they're taking what I'm saying to heart. They are. That's, they're that's they're listening. I mean, Chris Beard has an earpiece in, I'm pretty sure, right now. Yeah. This, Hopefully when this, com- when this comes out Tuesday morning, uh, this didn't end up being like a 40-point loss. Right. I just hope both teams have fun. I agreed. Agreed. Um, it's so tough to pick where to go next. Colorado? 
You want to talk yeah. about Colorado? We, we must. So, wow. Um, this team, talk about just giving away the shop. They had basically the Pac-12 sewn up. They just had to – they played a majority, I think, of their, their games down the stretch have been at home. And they basically had to avoid losing too many of those and, and going into the final two, which are road games – with a, a game gap above the the, pa- the rest of the pack, and they did not do that. They have lost, what, th- three in a row, I believe, five of their last seven? And they just don't even look anywhere near the same team that we saw even a month ago. Yeah, this, this, their is, last not six. Overly, this is not an overly difficult week either. No. This is the NorCal schools. Cal is atrocious. They lost they are. double digits. Shot six for 29 from three in that game. And then come right back, lose to Stanford, shoot five of 20 from three in that game. McKinley Wright, six for 20 overall. Um, that's a guy, obviously, you need to get going. But, like, what are we doing here? This yeah. is, like, UCLA is is the only team in the Pac-12 that, you know, hasn't lost its mind. Like, Colorado cannot be losing to Cal at all, let alone by 14 points. That's yeah, absolutely absurd. Stanford's still good, and it's a road game, although playing at Stanford is like playing in a library because just no one cares. They, I don't know if you watched much of that game, but it was... I've watched too many Stanford home games this year. It is empty. I mean, yeah. it is stunningly empty. They're uh, all at the actual library. They are. So they actually had three uh, road games to close the year, but it's Cal, Stanford, and Utah. Not necessarily a murderer's row, especially... Uh, this year in the Pac-12, but they have not looked good, and uh, they have in turn given up, not just given up their lead in the Pac-12, they are now tied for fourth with USC, and have a very real chance of slipping to the five seed or worse. Yeah, that would that would be crazy. Is Oregon-Colorado should absolutely be 1-2 in this yeah. conference, and... Any other results for either of them is nothing but a massive disappointment. Yeah, I mean they can they can right the wrong in the NCAA tournament, but at this point it's got you've yeah. just got to be praying to get to Selection Sunday and get this season over with the regular, <laughs> the regular season, season. Excuse me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I know you meant um, Penn State? Question mark. Not again. I, the <laughs> it's it's not as bad. It could have and should have been worse. Yes, if they had. If they had held on and lost to horrifically bad road team Rutger. Yeah. Um, but fortunately for them, they were rescued there. Um, pretty lackluster for most of the game against Iowa, though. Um, and it's Penn State does not look like a super confident team right now. Again, after they hit the, the high watermark of being in the top 10, they have should be four losses in a row. It's three out of four. But, you know, they... They battled back a little bit against Iowa, but for most of that game, they did not look like they were on you know the same level as another ranked team in the Big Ten. Um, Chad Chambers will comfortably make the tournament, so there's at least that going for them. But mm-hmm. they are uh, they, they they peaked a little early. They did, and I think not having Myron Jones has been like a significant issue. Obviously not having your second best player hurts, but it's been six or seven games and they really haven't seemed to have gotten any more comfortable without him. Isaiah Brockington and Miles Dredd are attempting to fill that void and it's just not working because they're not 
they're just not the same type of player. Then you've got Jamari Wheeler, who's really struggling to score. I mean, teams are basically daring him to shoot, and he refuses still to do so because he just has no confidence. And like you said, this team in general has no confidence outside of Lamar Stevens, who has gotten to the point where it is every possession now. He is just going down trying to get a bucket, and he is wearing himself out. I mean, if he ever loses confidence, they're it's over. Royally, they're royally fucked. Yeah, like they're they're not beating anybody. I mean, he hasn't lost confidence, and he's shooting like twenty seven percent from three. He's he's officially. I mean, I don't. I'm sure he's shot threes in the past couple of games. I don't remember seeing him almost every time he's trying to go to the mid range, which is good on him because he you know acknowledges where he's playing well and not playing well. But at the same time, they just have no three point shooting threat without uh, Myron Jones. Yeah, he, he's still attacking, I mean, out of necessity, because right. if he doesn't score, who's going to? Um, but yeah, it's fall, falling back to the rest of the mass in the Big Ten, probably going to end up in a challenging 5-12 matchup, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, some people might pick them to be upset, but personally, I'm going to wait until the matchups come out. I would appreciate that. Thank yeah. you. I said they'll surprise. I didn't say they'd win the Big Ten. I was very clear about that. I, d- <laughs> I was not I was not no, no. any shade at you. No, no, no. I know. I was just, in my head, I was having a conversation of like, man, they, they were so close, and now here they are. They were. Um, they got, they got as, as high as you get before you, you start to fall. Creighton, same thing. Yeah. Uh, I had, actually, the aforementioned team, Evansville. Congrats, congratulations <laughs> to them for finishing 0-18. They are... One of three teams who has currently finished the regular season that finished with zero wins, I believe Kennesaw State and the Citadel were the other two. There are two other schools with the opportunity to do so. I can't remember them off the top of my head, but they have two. They each have two games left this week, so we could have five teams that finish conference play with zero wins. But nice. Evansville obviously is the most notable <laughs> because they won at Rupp Arena. How many? Uh, how many undefeated conference teams? Uh, I want to say New Mexico State is the only, the only one. one. Yeah, I was gonna say I would, I would wait, I would bet the rent on less than five. Yeah. So um, quick scroll through. San Diego State was the only. Oh no, Stephen F. Austin was seventeen and one as well, like San Diego State. Gonzaga fifteen and one. New Mexico State's fifteen and zero, yeah, yeah. so they have one more left. Okay. That's about it, though. Um, oh no, Dayton. I lied. Dayton. So two. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, much like this show. Negative always wins out. It does. So it's always more suckage than excellence. There is. Uh, I just wanted to mention the absolute and utter collapse by Minnesota (laughs) against Maryland, especially because I had already written out my paragraph about them beating Maryland. And they had in, in the four minutes that it took me to write it, they had already blown the lead. Like it was, it was clear that I was going to be deleting this and not hitting your free throws just continuing to give up wide open shots, everything that I mean, they did everything wrong, everything possibly wrong that you could down the stretch of a game. And uh, honestly, it is a testament to Maryland. I'll say this much because sure they've been in this situation, not this exact one, but they've been in the situation like this quite a bit. But they don't quit at the end of games, which is you know a, a pretty strong compliment to a team. The nicest thing I can say about Maryland right now is they should have a lot more losses than they do. Yeah. But also Minnesota, like, they are not far removed at all from an all-time choke job against Iowa at home, just not scoring for the last five minutes and change. Yeah. 
and then to come right back a few games later and do this. Like either one of those would have been a great win for a team that has desperately needed it. Um, obviously, played their way squarely off the bubble by this point, um, such as life in the Big Ten this season. But mm-hmm. my God, it, it's just. It's impressive. I, I say that, I say this as an Indiana football fan. Like it has to be <laughs> extremely disheartening to follow Minnesota basketball this year. Yeah, they uh, so close, but just could not could not close in a couple of these. Um, Sean Miller is at least impressive. That's for sure. <laughs> getting tossed at UCLA, getting swept yeah. by the LA schools. Too much talent for them to be fighting. You know USC and behind UCLA right now. Right. Too much talent to be not, you know, not being competitive at all for a Pac-12 championship this year. Yeah. That's what it boils down to. Um, Well, you can make the excuse that Josh Green wasn't playing the past couple games, but even so, like, that's one guy. They've got way more talent than that. Yeah, they weren't in the discussion before either. So, I don't know. Stay sweaty. He does. And he foaming at the mouth. (laughs) Uh, That is all I've got. Yeah, that's that's all I will talk about as well. <laughs> <laughs> I threw I threw Michigan on there also, but yeah, we, we already broke them down and uh, most impressive. So that's where we will leave everything. I, I don't have a diatribe. So, not this not this week, or at least no. not yet. No, I, once once we're on to the NIT preview show, I'll have, <laughs> I'll have thoughts. Oh man, uh, yeah. So. Once again, March is here. Hopefully, our uh, our Baylor Texas Tech discussion doesn't look too crazy um, when you hear this on Tuesday and the game has already happened. But I don't know. I'm just I'm overcome with excitement for the tournament being in a couple weeks, regardless of whether Indiana is in it or not. I still have Gonzaga and yes, everything else going on um, to entertain myself. So I appreciate that. Um, we've got just hella conference tournament previews on the site right now that B Frank has been slaving over ripping for, through uh, them forever. Um, yeah. So, so definitely check those out. We'll be staying active on Twitter as well. So follow us there all through the tournaments. We will, we'll have some good content for you. And of course, keep listening to the show.